So the theme for this morning is a surprising journey, and Sean is going to bring us a reading from Matthew's account of Jesus' journey into Jerusalem. The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your word may come alive afresh to us and that you would enable us to hear and receive from your spirit that we may for our eyes fix our eyes on you and our hope in your kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen. So we've been walking with Jesus through the wilderness. During this Lent, our series has sought to focus more on Jesus than on wilderness. And we've been able to see the person who chose to be there at strategic times in his life. Indeed, it was a vital dimension of his life throughout those three years. We've seen how the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and empowered him, and how it became a place of encounter and discovery and can be for us too. We've no need to fear, but the perfect love of God drives out that fear so that we may be open to whatever he might be saying to us and showing us and revealing to us in ways that perhaps we'd never otherwise been able to know. 
We've seen how Jesus, in those times of silence, solitude, with all the stuff stripped away, the simplicity of those periods of time, drew him closer to the heart of the Father. And how for us, as we practice those disciplines, those spiritual ancient disciplines of silence, solitude, simplicity, fasting, whatever it might be, we are somehow caught up in the passion of the Father's heart. And we looked at the passion for justice, the passion for climate justice too, for people and for this planet. We saw how Jesus overcame temptation with the truth of God's word and how that power is available for us as we encounter the destructive and deceptive powers of evil in our lives. And last week we reflected on the sacrificial love of Christ on the cross, the one who became the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the whole world, who died once for all and enabled us to be free, to be in relationship with God in a way that would never, ever have been possible otherwise. And that sacrificial love enabled him to hear God's voice as he set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And today, as we travel with Jesus on that final stage of his journey, as he begins the last week of his life, we do so with the crowds. And yet, with the benefit of hindsight, we do so with a sense of awe and wonder at what was about to take place. But it was indeed a surprising journey for those crowds who were so full of anticipation. They found themselves caught up in a great procession, waving their palms, full of thanksgiving and joy and using the psalms to sing out their praise of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is the one we've been waiting for. The one who will deliver us. Save us. The literal meaning of Hosanna. Save us and help us. Save us. We're under the dictatorship, the oppression of the Roman Empire. Jesus, overcome all those forces of evil. Do for us what no one else has been able to do. We don't know how that's going to happen, but do it, Lord. Come as our Savior, Messiah, King, with your power and overthrow these human enemies. But of course, Jesus had other enemies on his mind. The way he entered Jerusalem gave people a clue as to what sort of things lay ahead. Humble, riding on a donkey. He shocked his disciples. They were bemused, but they still sought to praise him. His view of the enemy was not of a human one, but rather of a spiritual enemy that would come against every human being, not just the people of God. 
Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, even if others didn't have a clue or were misguided. He was doing it to do God's will. That was his purpose. He had come to do God's will. In this final week then of his life, Jesus' purpose was to complete the work that the Father had given him. And he used this phrase, the hour has come. He used it many times. He used it right at the beginning of his ministry in his first miracle at Cana in Galilee. And he said to his mother when he said, I don't, you know, they have no wine left. My hour has not yet come. But now at the end of his ministry, he uses this phrase many times. John records it, for example, at the end of this triumphal entry. In John 12, Jesus is recorded as saying to the Gentiles who would say, Lord, we would see Jesus. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And brothers and sisters, we are part of that fruit. That the seeds of the gospel have sown in our lives and have flourished and we have embraced that as good soil and we become fruitful people in our turn, the fruit of the harvest that Jesus reaps through his death and resurrection. The hour had come. Gethsemane sees Jesus weeping, crying, and kneeling, sweating blood before the Father. If there is a way, let this cup pass from me, but here, there is no word from the Father. There is silence. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. And then when the people came, the guards from the temple came with Judas, he sees them coming towards him. He says to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed and handed into the hands of of sinners. The hour has come. And then on the Mount of Crucifixion, when he had received the drink, John writes, he said in a loud voice, it is finished. It is finished. It is completed. It is accomplished. And with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He'd done it. It was a cry of triumph in the midst of huge pain. He'd completed the work. And the purpose that God has for us all is to complete the work that he's given us at different seasons of our lives and to do his will 
whatever that means. In 2002, Sean and I knew with clarity that we could not avoid <laughs> that it was time for me to come here and for Sean to come and together to be part of God's purposes here for a time and for a season. We had no idea how long that would last. But we believe that now is the time for me to retire and for us to move into a new season of life. And you're going to have to pray for me here because <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit emotional. But this is such a huge day for us because this, you at home and everybody have become a very close family for us. And we want to try to help have a bit of background as to why we've come to this decision and why it's right for us to make it now. I'm just going to have a drink that one of my family members, Andy, has provided. So in the autumn of 2001, we decided we'd come over, having seen the advert in the Church Times, uh, to see what Down End was like and to look at the church. We'd never, no idea, never heard of Down End, of course, but we came and found the church and it was a grey, miserable, drizzly old day. And I came to the side door, as it used to be then, and uh, lo and behold, it was open. And uh, I came in and Dave Tooby was stood Right, well, it wasn't quite right here, it was back there because the uh, transformation of the chancel hadn't taken place then, and the steps were further back. And he was doing some work in the church. He said, How did you get in? I said, <laughs> I just came through the door. <laughs> and well, that door was supposed to be locked. It was always locked. Anyway, it was open that day, and I came in and spoke with him, and I stood here. And I just looked out in the church and this vision of a church that was light and beautiful and fit for purpose for the 21st century, that was full of people with children, young people, adults together, praising God with all their hearts and singing God's glory, just filled my vision, filled my heart. And I knew that was what God called me to be overseeing, to be a, a part in facilitating, because the church was quite different then. God gave us a clear vision of what this church could be. And I believe that we have completed that work that God has given us. And therefore, it is with much heartache that we've come to realize that it is time for us to enter a new and very different chapter. And for Christchurch to enter into a new season under fresh leadership. But as we look back, we are so full of thankfulness, the top of our value chart. Thankfulness characterizes so much of what we think and look back with. Thankfulness for God's guiding for both of us 
and for those in the parish and the diocese. He took this enormous risk of appointing me uh, as the vicar here, knowing that I was somebody who was, wanting, was open uh, to, about the need for the church to be willing to change and to grow and to think differently about the way forward. It was a risk that you took it and God honored it. We are so thankful for the vision that God gave us of life. Not so much of church, but of life in all its fullness. That was what it was about. And life that is known and experienced in the risen Christ and in a church community that reflects the vibrant life of Christ and the love across all ages that unites people, reconciles people, that draws people together and is a vital witness in the wider community and across the world. And we have seen that light shining so, so brightly over these years. I'm thankful for the grace to do his work here, which included a huge building project at the pursuing of Christ's vision for discipleship, not just following Jesus, but being disciples of Jesus in the whole of life, not just about church stuff, but in every part of life. And fourthly, for the strength to lead this church through this pandemic, pandemic, which is so wearing, so tiring, a pandemic in which we have seen the church enables such a massive, massive range of ways that God's compassion can be expressed in our community, out there, and keep connected with people who are at home, such as through our live streaming of services, or our bread for the day, whatever it might be, all the different ways of communicating with our children, young people through Zoom and everything else. We have sought to maintain this church as a building that is open to all, a consistent point of worship of a God who is unchanging in the midst of every change that is going on around us. So anyone will realize, I think, after uh, 19 years it will be this Pentecost, that the decision to leave this coming summer has been an incredibly hard one. And yet, you know, it's always been true for me when, <laughs> when, I, when I know it's God's will, I mean, I'll just do it. I, I'm 100% determined to do it. I don't always achieve it. <laughs> but I am so determined to do it. And we'll push things through. Uh, and give everything for it. And so will Charlotte. And uh, this is a, a different sort of thing. It's a, a clarity about now is the time. And it would be just, you know, be wrong, wouldn't it, to go on a bit more. I, I quite like it here. I do like it here. But, you know, <laughs> carry on for a little bit longer. And it's not, if it's not God's will, then it's not right to do that. It's right to go when he says. And now is the time. And, of course, there are other factors. You know, I'll know my complex 
health conditions have just got a lot more complex. Um, and you're very aware and you've prayed so much as a church for our family, little grandson, our wider family and things. Uh, and that is an area that we, Sean and I, need to be much more available for in, uh, in the months and years ahead. So the next three months will see us put in place a process that will prepare for this change. And I have total confidence in Paul and in the team, amazing team that we have, who will work with the church wards, PCC, and, and everybody who is part of enabling now this vision to continue. They are people who love the Lord and who are seeking to do his will too. And I'm deeply thankful to have been part of a prayerful church who is united in God's love and who is committed to his mission. And of course, full of praise to God for his faithfulness, his provision, and for the many, many glimpses of his glory that we've seen over all these years. So if it's God's will for us to go now, it will also be the right time for you as a church too. But I know that the Holy Spirit will want to bring the sort of leadership that is committed to God's word, to listening and understanding how this church can move forward in these potentially very exciting times ahead and is open to the Holy Spirit's life in everything to do with living that life in the, in the community. God's purposes are good. In Isaiah it says he waits to be gracious to you. And he's still waiting to be gracious to you. So I want to conclude just with sharing this image we'll see on the screen now, of the risen Christ. A risen Christ that speaks of uh, one who is having his hands outstretched in blessing. We're going to be looking to the cross this Easter, and we say, here is love. And we look to the resurrection of Jesus, and we say, here is life. Life for all who will receive. Here is the one on whom we fix our eyes and in whom we put our trust. The one who is fully alive and walks with us through the wilderness and into the future that he has prepared. It's true for you as a church and it's true for Sean and me as we all seek to do God's will in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit.